in the book of Ruth, Naomi and her family had left Bethlehem, God's promised land. They'd left God's people. They'd walked away from God. They'd gone to Moab, and then everything fell apart. Naomi's husband passes away. Naomi's two sons pass away, leaving her with two daughter-in-laws who are also widows. One daughter-in-law, Ruth, comes back to Bethlehem with Naomi, and Naomi comes back going, God has cleared my possessions. I am empty-handed. And we saw last week that God actually had his eye on her the whole time. And as she comes back to God's land and back to God's people and back to God, in his kindness, he's actually orchestrating Ruth to meet Boaz so that Boaz could provide food for them. And the author had put it as if it was good happenstance, but it really wasn't good happenstance. It was God's hand. And we start to see that Boaz is someone who can restore their lives. He is related to them, and he can redeem them legally. Redemption was this idea that you could uh, buy the property back that your relative had had to sell because they were impoverished. You could buy it back in order to give the land or the possessions or whatever it was back to them. And so Boaz is this possible redeemer. He's already caring for Naomi and Ruth in a sense, but there's this promise that they can get back what they lost when they went to Moab. You'll remember Naomi's excitement in chapter 2 when she said in uh, verse 19 and 20, Naomi said, where did you gather barley today? And where did you work? May the Lord bless the man who noticed you. Ruth told her mother-in-law whom she had worked with and said, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living. That word kindness is very important in the book of Ruth. He has not abandoned his kindness to the living or to the dead. Naomi continued, this man is a close relative. He is one of our family redeemers. We're going to turn into chapter 3 today, and I have to warn you, the story gets a little spicy. It gets a little spicy, and some of you will be reading in your Bible, and you have to turn the cover and be like, am I still in the Bible? Is that what I'm reading about today? And so because the Bible goes there, we're going to go there. As the Bible kind of talks honestly about relationships, uh, we're going to talk about relationships, we're going to talk about dating, we're going to talk about sex, we don't have to be afraid to go there. We're going to talk about all those things, but we're going to really land on love, on God's loving kindness, as I pointed the word out earlier. We're going to focus on getting love and giving love. I'm going to ask Megan to come forward, and she's going to read our text, but as she comes, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we ask for your help today. We could learn some great things, we could hear a great story, but we really need changed hearts. And so we pray that your spirit would be at work in my words and at work in all of us, that we might grow in our capacity to love, to love you and to love each other. We pray that you would make us more like Christ. You would make us better disciples who represent his kingdom. And we pray that we would bring all honor and glory to you. Amen. From the book of Ruth, chapter 3. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you so that you will be taken care of? Now isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfumed oil, 
and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. So Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. She went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had charged her to do. After Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley, and she came secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, Boaz was startled, turning over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. So he asked her, who are you? Dating, sex, and relationships are complicated. If you're single, they're complicated. If you're with somebody, they're complicated. If you're married, it's complicated. Dating, sex, and relationships are complicated. If you're single, you're always wanting that loyal person, that person who you can give love to and is going to give back love to you. You're looking for that person that finds you attractive and, and that you find attractive. It's hard, though, especially if you're single in this world, to find that person, isn't it? Because it's hard just to find a good person. But not only that, we've gotten busier than we ever have been. And so making that love connection is difficult and trying. We've, we've asked technology to help us out a little bit. You know, 15 years ago, sites like eHarmony came up. And more recently, we have not just websites, but uh, mobile dating apps like OkCupid and Tinder that we're asking to help with the dating experience. But even though these things make connections really easy, you can connect with someone instantaneously, as I'm reading about these applications, I'm finding that people are still decently disappointed with the experience of love through these mobile apps. People are disappointed through their experience of love on these mobile apps. And it's kind of weird why. I mean, I mean think about it. Is it, it. It seems like if we had a simplified way to connect with each other in this busy world, that, that would make it easier, and that would make it not disappointing, but rather pleasurable and fun. But maybe it's not the simplified connection. Maybe it doesn't even really have to have, have to do with us being busy. Maybe it doesn't even really have to do with our ability to, to connect or not. You know, maybe it doesn't even have to do with dating and sex. Maybe our disappointment, not just with mobile apps, but maybe our disappointment in relationships or the the disappointment we have in marriage at times. Maybe it doesn't have to do with any of those things. Maybe our disappointment has to do with love itself. Maybe we don't understand love. Maybe we don't understand love. It'd be challenging to really understand love in our current society because everything in our society is about instant gratification. I mean, that's what these mobile apps are. Instant gratification, instant connection, instant pleasure. And so we enter into relationship looking for an experience that maybe isn't even possible for us to get. Along the way, we have a poor understanding of what love actually is. We might have a distorted experience of love because when you open up an app like Tinder or OkCupid, you see this of somebody. You see a picture of somebody, right? Someone created in the image of God, someone that has dignity and is worthy of love. And, and our first inclination when we look at that picture is, do I swipe right 
or do I swipe left? Our first inclination isn't, who is this person created in the image of God, and how can I sacrificially love them? How can I give myself to them? No, that, the, the, the primary thing that we're thinking about is, what can I get from that person? How can they meet my need? And yet we call that love. We call that love. And so we enter into these dating apps with distorted experiences of love, and we enter into friendships and relationships and marriages looking to get rather than give. And maybe it's because we have a distorted experience of the other person. Like, we're not really willing to engage a whole person. I think that's one of the challenges with the apps that are creating what they call a hookup culture. It just makes it easy to find that other person that you can have a sexual encounter with very easily. We are sexual beings, but we're not only sexual beings. In God's wisdom, he's, he's created each of us to be so complex. We each have longings and faults and strengths and weaknesses and stories and tragedies. And we are bodies, we have bodies, but we're so much more. We have souls and spirits and minds that need love. And when we approach to get, whether that's sex or something else, whether that's a hookup or it's a 30-year marriage, when we approach the other person to get, we're not really experiencing the whole person. We're getting part of them without giving ourselves to the whole of who they are. And so then we get a distorted experience of another person. The challenge, I think, with those apps, for those of you that are, are dating, is that even if you give yourself to another person, there's really no sense of commitment to you. you know? There's an encouragement to find a better fit, to find someone who's got better money, better looking, better sex, someone that gives a better experience. And so the whole thing is just really makes people really insecure. And that's why they're disappointed. And maybe it's because of these same things that whether we're dating or married or looking or wherever we are, we ourselves can find disappointment when it comes to relationships. And I think it's not necessarily the app's fault. I think it is something deeper like our own understanding of love. Because in our own understanding of love, our approach to love is distorted. Our approach to love is distorted. Because we think about love primarily as getting an experience from another person rather than giving ourselves to that person. We think about love as getting an experience from the other person rather than giving ourselves to that person. See, we were made for love, but we do not have a good understanding of what love is. We do not have a good understanding of what love is is. And as human beings created in the image of God, who is love, we must look to him to understand what love is. We've got to redefine love according to what God says it is. We have to understand that love. We have to root ourselves in love, and we have to rec reflect that love. In fact, the backdrop for this entire story of Ruth is God's love. God's love in this story is the Hebrew word hesed, hesed. 
And oftentimes that's translated as kindness or loving kindness. But there's a really robust definition for this. It, it's his loving kindness, but it's his faithful goodness, his loyal commitment to somebody no matter the cost. It's a, it's a love that is there to give, not to get. It is a deep, loyal love and a faithful commitment no matter the cost. It's a commitment to a whole person and all of their needs, no matter what it requires in terms of sacrifice. In fact, Naomi's question, when she says, is God still kind? She's saying, is God still going to display hesed to me? Is he still committed to me? Is he going to show loyal love to me? And the answer to Naomi's question is, yes, he will. He will love you. He will display hesed because he's promised it to his people. And so we see this as he provides for Ruth through Boaz. God loves Naomi and Ruth through providing for Boaz. And then Boaz receives God's love and reflects God's love. And as Naomi begins to change her mind about God's love and kindness and commitment to her, we see that she's almost changing her disposition towards Ruth. Like she's starting to think beyond her own problems. And she's starting to think about Ruth. God's love has affected Naomi. And in our first verse of this chapter, we see that she actually shows that same love for Ruth. She tells Ruth, hey, we need to find rest for you. And what she means is Naomi is a widowed woman who has to work in a culture that isn't protective of single women who are widowed. And it's time that they found a husband for Ruth so that she could find some rest. Naomi's beginning to actually care about Ruth and begin to care beyond her problems. She's seen that Ruth has displayed God's hesed love for her. She's taken care of Naomi. And now Naomi says, Ruth, we need someone to take care of you. Well, she mentions Boaz. Boaz, that distant relative Boaz. And she mentions that he's a relative because of two things. In this time, in that culture, there was something called Leverite marriage. And when a man had a wife, and then he died before there was any children, his line would die out. Like he would have no stake in God's promised land because he was dead. The name of his, his name would be wiped out. But in God's kindness, he provided a way for his name not to die out. The man's brother would marry that particular woman and they would have a child together. And the first child would carry on the deceased man's line. Now some of you are like, that's crazy, no one does that. Well, they did this 3,000 years ago in that culture because to have your family name wiped out was a big deal. And in God's kindness, he provided a way for a relative to marry the widow and have a child that would represent that deceased man. And that was a big deal. And so Naomi mentions that Boaz is this distant relative. He can do this. He can make it so that her deceased husband, Elimelech's line is not wiped out in Israel. We see this in Deuteronomy 25.6. It says, the first son she bears will carry on the name of the dead brother, so his name will not be blotted out. Israel. But there was also this concept 
of a family redeemer, which is really what this story is about. When Naomi and her husband went to Moab, it's possible that they went uh, for economical reasons. And while they were there, we think that maybe they lost all their family property, like the family property that had been passed down to generation to generation in God's promised land. And so they had no stake in God's promised land. But in God's kindness, he said that a relative could step in and buy back anything that was lost. He could redeem anything that was lost. We see this in Leviticus 25. You are to allow the redemption of any land you occupy. If your brother becomes destitute and sells part of his property, his nearest relative may come and redeem what his brother has sold. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan or the promised land and to be your God. In God's kindness, if someone had to sell something because they had no money, he provided a way for a relative to redeem it at cost to the relative, but to buy it back for the person who was destitute. And this is all because of God's love. That's why Naomi says Boaz is a relative. That's all packed in there when she says Boaz is a relative. And so Naomi hatches up this plan for Ruth. Boaz is done harvesting all the grains down at the winnow, in, the, in the winnowing fields. And she tells Ruth, why don't you go down there tonight? Why don't you clean up a little bit, smell nice? Uh, she doesn't tell her to go to prom, but she says, look marryable. Look marryable. You're, you're done mourning your husband. So anoint yourself, look nice, go down there in the, you know, in the, in the early evening and wait. Boaz, once he finishes his work, he'll sit down and he'll have food with his friends. They'll talk about the day. They'll probably kick back some cold ones and wait until that's all done. And then he's going to go get some sleep. Now, some people say she's waiting for Boaz to get drunk. That's not really the, the point. Uh, he's just enjoying wine with his friends after a hard day of work. And Naomi is to then go and approach him. Wait till he sleeps, but go and approach him. And some say, well, Naomi is telling Ruth to wait till Boaz gets drunk and then go and seduce him. But that's not really what's happening here. It's, it's interesting what's happening, but she's not going there specifically to manipulate him. That's not Ruth, right? Ruth, we've seen this loyal, giving love throughout the story. She's not the type of person that would go and manipulate to get what she wants. And we'll see that as the story moves on. Really, Naomi's telling her, wait until he's done eating and drinking, wait till he goes to sleep, wait till everyone else goes to sleep, and then you can go and have a private conversation with him. You're going to make a big ask, Ruth, and just wait until he's alone. Don't do this in front of other people. But then she tells Ruth to do something interesting. When you go, find where Boaz is sleeping and uncover part of his feet. Uncover part of his feet. And I'll be honest with you, for 3,000 years, we've been trying to figure out how far up she is to uncover. The language is really ambiguous. And so I'm just trying to be honest with you. This is going to create some sexual tension at the very least. She's not there to seduce him, but she is uncovering part of his body while he sleeps. There is going to be some sexual tension when Boaz wakes up. 
Ruth is to lie down and pay attention and wait for Boaz to wake up. Now, we do see in this plan that Naomi has some concern, right? She has some concern for Ruth. She wants her to find a husband. She wants her to find a husband. But um, her plan, in one sense, is really well thought out. Like, she has all these specific instructions, ten instructions that she gives. And in case Boaz rejects her, she can slip away at night. Uh, in case something else happens, she can, you know, she can go back and hide. So we're like, Naomi, how well thought out is this? Well, in one sense it is, but in another sense it's really rash. She sends Ruth out to the threshing floor by herself at night. And we know from chapter 2 that women, women at daytime in the fields were not safe, but Ruth is sent out by Naomi in the middle of the night. Something could happen to her. But not only that, she has told Ruth to look attractive, to go out at night, to uncover a man who has had a little alcohol, and to lay down next to him and wait. This plan is a little rash. It is a little rash. We almost want to ask Naomi, should she go ahead and bring some rose petals and a CD of Barry White. What does Naomi want to happen? We're, we're not totally clear. We're not totally clear what Naomi wants to happen. And there's a lot of what ifs. What if Ruth goes out there and Boaz wakes up and he's not interested at all? What if he's not interested and then shames her, shames Ruth, publicly? What if he calls her a prostitute for laying down next to him? What if he doesn't want to redeem her because it's too costly? Or worse, what if he takes advantage of her in the middle of the night? Boaz was a prominent, wealthy man. Ruth was not. There's a lot that can go wrong. What if he has sex with her, but then he's not interested in committing to her? This plan of Naomi's, while at first we think she's thought it through, it is ripe for disaster. There is a lot of things that go wrong. But in Ruth's loyalty, she says, I will go, and I will do what you have told me. So she goes, she hides, she watches, she waits, and once Boaz has fallen asleep, she goes over. She uncovers part of his body, and she lays down and she waits. It seems that she was waiting for a little while, maybe a couple hours. And in the late night hour, Boaz shivers. He shivers and he wakes up and there, lying at his feet, a woman. Now it's dark. He can't tell who it is. He can't see who it is. But we're meant to smell, we're meant to get the fact that there's sexual tension. In the original Hebrew language, it doesn't say Boaz. It says, the man woke up, and there lying next to him, woman. Do I need to spell it out for you? The man woke up, and there lying next to him, a woman. Sexual tension. It's there. It's there. Now, some of you are going, wait a minute, I thought we were in church. The Bible is more honest about these things uh, than sometimes we realize. But Boaz yells out, who are you? He 
can't see her. And Ruth then says this, I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Now, this is a little bit of a subtle proposal to Boaz. And we don't get everything from the original language, so I want to tell you what she's trying to say by the words that she's using. This is what she's trying to say. I am Ruth. I am humbled to be before you, but I am marriable. I am no longer in mourning over my deceased husband. Though I am an outsider as a Moabite, I have joined God's people. I am part of his community of love. As you mentioned in the fields, I have taken refuge under the wings of the one true God. You prayed for my life to be restored, but in you I see the character of the one true God. And I would like my life to be restored with you under your wings. For as God's command says, you are a family redeemer, and if you marry me, you will restore Naomi. Her husband's family line will not die out, and you could redeem everything that was lost when she moved to Moab. You are a man who reflects God's Hesed love. Will you reflect that Hesed love to me and Naomi by redeeming us? Now, I know that's a lot, but I want to, I, there's a lot in the language there, and I just want to make it clear to you. She is offering herself in marriage to Boaz and asking that he would redeem them in marriage. No games. She's just putting it out there and asking Boaz to show Hesed love. Now, some of us might say, isn't that a gold digger? Like, isn't she saying, Boaz, I need your wealth and I need you? Well, Boaz doesn't think so. Boaz is ecstatic. Boaz is delighted. We almost get the sense that from what Ruth has said, Boaz is kind of falling for Ruth. Listen to what Boaz says next. Then he said, may the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Now don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Boaz likes Ruth. He respects Ruth. And in Ruth, he sees God's love and kindness and hesed. When he says that you have done something kinder than you did before, what he's referring to is the fact that, Naomi, that Ruth had left Moab with Naomi, had been loyal to Naomi, and gone with Naomi, to her land and her people and her God and left her land and her people and her God. But now she's done something even greater. She could go and pursue younger, wealthier men for marriage. But because those men might not accept Naomi as part of the deal, she has come to Boaz and said, Boaz, would you marry me? And can Naomi be part of that? Will you take care of her as well? And what Boaz sees is that she's marrying she definitely likes Boaz, but she's also sacrificing herself for Naomi. She's showing that she's willing to bind herself to Naomi, and whatever happens to her has to happen to Naomi. What Boaz sees and he delights in is that Naomi is approaching love not just to get, but to give. Not just to get, but 
to give. She wants to include Naomi and the line, the family line in the land. She's not going after love to get, but to give. And Boaz sees that chesed love in her, and he's delighted. He's delighted. He calls her a worthy woman, a Proverbs 31 woman. Actually, in the Hebrew Bible, Proverbs comes right before Ruth. And I think we're meant to see Proverbs 31, which is all about a noble woman, as being lived out by Ruth. So he's delighted in her because he sees the character of God's love in her. It's pretty amazing, though. They're in this moment of sexual tension, and all they can talk about is God's character and his love. His hesed. It isn't that they don't like each other. They definitely seem to have an affinity for each other. They're fond of each other. But what it is that's really pressing their buttons is the fact that they see God's sacrificial love in the other person. See, too often we think love is about how the other person looks or about how the other person makes me feel. But it's really about the other person's character and reflecting the love of God. Jerome Gay puts it this way. True love is built on character rather than on physical attraction. It's not that physical attraction is not important. You just can't build love on physical attraction. You build it on God's love. And what's amazing about these two is that their orientation point for all of life throughout this story is the committed, loyal, hesed love of God. That's what they're displaying to other people. That's what they see in each other. The love that God displayed when he saved his people from Egypt and brought them into the promised land. And the, the funny thing is it's not just conceptual. They're actually displaying that love to one another. Throughout the story, Ruth has displayed that love to Naomi and being loyal to her. And Boaz has displayed that love by providing for them. So in many ways, they have received the love of God, but they're also receiving the love of God through each other. Now, I realize that this picture of, like, this moment of what's going on here sexually, along with the fact that they're all of a sudden talking about the character of God, you're like, Pastor, that's not how the world works. You know? I mean, sex happens. Sex is sex. That's what people are looking for. That's not how the world works. Well, that's not how the world worked then either. This is held up to us as an example of what is possible when people really soak themselves in the love of God. They're not there just to get from the other person. They're there to give. They're there to give sacrificially and loyally. In fact, Boaz is so baffled by the love of God in Ruth. And maybe it's so unbelievable to us because we ourselves haven't truly soaked in God's love and kindness for us. And maybe that's one of our problems. Maybe we're looking for the love that only God can give. We're looking for that deep, committed, loyal love from a person, rather from our God. Because as these two soak in the love of God, they seem to want to give, not just get that's exactly what Boaz does. Boaz makes a commitment right there to Ruth. He doesn't take advantage of her. 
He gives a commitment to her. He says he's willing to redeem her no matter the cost. He will do it. It's going to cost him to buy back all that, that, that is theirs and to take Naomi and Ruth into his home. But he's willing to do it. In verse 12 through 13, it says this, Yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down until morning. Boaz basically says this, I'm in. No matter what it costs, I will pay the price. He's reflecting God's love again. But he says this, look, there's someone who's closer to your family than me. And by God's command, I cannot redeem you until this other person passes. But if he passes, I will do it. As the Lord lives, I will. Now you imagine the tension that Ruth's feeling. At this point, she's like, I'm almost there. I'm almost there, but we've got to figure out about this other redeemer. And you and I are going, we want them to be together. Who is this guy? In college, one of my friends uh, had this term called the boo guy. And the boo guy was anybody who liked someone that him and his buddies liked. And whenever a boo guy would come by, my friends would go, boo, like really subtly. They would boo this other guy. And now we have this boo guy. We're like, we don't want this guy. We want Boaz. We want this guy who has re been reflecting the love of God to this woman who has been reflecting the acid love of God. We want them to be together. But they've still got to follow God's way. They've still got to follow God's way. And I think that's helpful for us because here they have a, really, they have a real opportunity. They could sleep together and no one would know. They could probably work out some sort of marriage and, and it might go undetected, but they've decided in God's law, there's someone that has to say no first. There's a potential suitor that we have to run this by before Boaz and Ruth can get married. And they're following God, even though they have the opportunity to go ahead and do it. And I think that's helpful for us as we think about dating and sex and relationships, because sometimes opportunity doesn't mean it's God's will. Like, just because you have the chance for something and an open door for something doesn't mean that God actually is allowing it. Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way, never mistake temptation for opportunity. If God has some sort of command, just because there's an opportunity to get something without following the command doesn't mean you should. And Boaz and Ruth are going to follow God's command even though we don't want them to. We're like, go ahead, go to the altar, get married. But that's not their orientation point. They're going to rest in the love of God, and they're going to do what God has said. Ruth has taken the initiative. She wants this guy to marry her, but they're going to wait. Boaz makes a promise, and Ruth has to go back to Naomi. But she seems to trust that Boaz will do what he says. Boaz has made a commitment. He's, follow, he's going to follow through. In verse 14, it says this, So she lay down at his feet until morning, but got up while it was still dark. She lay down at his feet till morning and got up while it was still dark. There they slept 
in the midst of sexual tension with no sexual relationship. Boaz is a trustworthy man. Then Boaz says, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He's worried about her reputation. If someone finds out that she came into this man zone and spent the night, her reputation is going down the tubes. And he told Ruth, bring the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. And when she held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl, and she went into town. She went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked her, what happened, my daughter? Then Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. She said, he gave me six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Boaz, again, displays the Hesed love of God, protecting Ruth while she's sleeping at his feet, making sure she's gone before her reputation is ruined, all while protecting her and not touching her sexually, then sending her home to her nervous mother-in-law full of barley, full of food. The author's trying to get us to see that Boaz gets Naomi. Naomi had come home empty-handed, but Boaz sends her home full of grain. Some commentators think almost 80 pounds. Can you imagine Ruth coming home with all this grain? He helps her get it on her back, and she returns and walks in the door, and Naomi's like, what happened? What happened last night? She sees the barley, though, and she hears the story from Ruth, and she knows Boaz's intent. Because of his love, because of his sacrificial love, she knows Boaz is willing to, to redeem, and we're left waiting for the final chapter of the story next Sunday. What will happen? We know that they love each other, they, they are displaying the love of God, but there's the presence of a boo guy. It's all week you're going to be booing him, and we're left waiting. What do we take away, though, from this story? What do we take away? Well, certainly this, we can evaluate our own understanding of love. This week, as you're in relationships with other people, maybe even as you're dating other people, are you there to get something from them or to give something to them? Is love about getting or is love about getting? And then I would challenge you as you evaluate yourself, Strive to give love sacrificially in all those relationships, whether it's dating, whether it's marriage, whether it's friendships. Pray for the power and the love of God to be reflected through you and to give it away. But then lastly, I want to encourage you to do this. Get love. I know this whole time I've been telling you to give love, but the truth is you can't give love until you get love. We read this earlier when Phyllis was baptized. Ephesians 1 is all about the love of God in Jesus Christ. And it says that in him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. Through Jesus, the Redeemer, you have been bought back from sin and slavery to sin. Jesus, the Redeemer, has paid your full price so that you are no longer under the wrath of God and the penalty of sin, but you've been welcomed and reconciled into God's family. Jesus came to redeem sinners, 
buying them back and purchasing forgiveness for them by his death on the cross. And while Ruth has to wait for tomorrow, you don't have to wait at all. Now you can receive and reflect on Jesus' great love for you, his hesed love, his loyal love, his all-out committed love to you that he displayed for you when he died on the cross in your place. See, here's the reality. As we talk about the love that's displayed in our day, verse, getting the love of Jesus in your heart. Jesus looks at your profile. He sees your sin. He sees your failures. He sees your weakness and your shame, and he never swipes left. He never swipes left because he's not looking for an equal match. He's looking to give his Hesed love to you over and over and over again. He's willing to redeem you no matter the cost. Even when it costs him his own blood. He gives love and he gives love and he gives love. A loyal love. An undeserved love, a committed love, it's yours. When you turn away from yourself and turn to him, and here's the amazing thing, he wants you to experience that love. He wants you to take that love in, and he wants it to shape you in all parts of your soul so that you would be filled and get the love of Jesus, the Redeemer, and then give it. Jesus, Redeemer, we thank you. We thank you for stories like Ruth that, that sometimes are complicated to understand, ultimately point to who you are and what you've done for us. We ask that you would help us to soak in the love of God in you, Jesus, that we might look again deeply at the cross and be reminded that you did that because you loved us. Might that change us this week? Might, in those moments when we're desperate to get love, might we look to the one who always gives love, Jesus, the Redeemer. In your name we pray, amen.